0: Don't sit down yet. Don't sit down yet. Let me read something to you. We're grateful that you're here. It's a great day to be alive. Thank you all for coming. Thank you, all of our guests that are here and wonderful people that join us online from all over the place. Amazing. This is Second Peter chapter one and verse 10. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. sure. For if you do these things, you'll never fall, never. Wow. So I think that's Brian. Brian, get me verse uh, 19, 2 Peter 1 and 19. <laughs> we have also a more sure word of Prophecy whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star rise in your heart. I'm going to ask you a question or maybe it's a question you have asked. How, how can we be sure? How do we know what we're doing is right? How do we know this Bible is right. How do we know? How How can we be sure? So I will attempt to answer that question for you today. If you have a good attitude, you can sit down. <clears throat> Hallelujah. You're laughing, aren't you? Because I'm the only one standing. Yes, yes, I get it. I started this journey early. If you've been in Bible class for the last six weeks, I mentioned in Matthew 16 where Jesus asked his disciples, what are they saying about me? Who do they say I am? Some say you're Elijah, some say you're Jeremiah. And then he he just stuns them. He says, okay, what about you? Who do you think I am? Peter says, "You're you're the Christ. You're the anointed one. You're the Messiah. And Jesus said, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. This is a spirit thing. So, in the Pentecostal world, um, we teach that the church is built on the revelation of who Jesus is. And that's a part of it. But the other part is this. The Church of Jesus Christ is built on revelation. Not just on who he is, but on a lot of stuff. To where the Bible said, in his light you see light. It's like, did you ever have one of those experiences studying the Bible? And it's like the elephant in the room. (gasps) There was, it was there all the time, but you know you never and all of a sudden there's a scripture 2 mm. Corinthians 4 and 4, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Satan is the mind blinder. Mind blinder. And um, my, I remember my earliest experience in Revelation. It was, I was 17 and I was studying a little book it wasn't a book it was really like a booklet it was called is jesus in the godhead or is godhead in jesus and and i saw it i saw it i realized in that magic moment that that god was not a trio of fictitious persons but 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 that god was spirit and that God lost his family through the deception of a former employee. <laughs> I for years when I traveled I would play tricks on crowds. The bigger the crowd the better the trick worked. I'd say I'm going to say a word and I want you to yell the opposite of it back to me. And I would say night and they would say day and I would say hot and they would say cold and I would say Jesus and they would say Satan. (laughs) And I would just laugh. Too many people have the concept that Jesus is the good God and Satan's the bad one. Let me explain something to you. On his best day, Satan was an employee. Okay? You need to put him in proper perspective here. And through the deception of a former employee, the Lord lost his family. And the story of the Bible is the effort that he made to get that family back. There's just one giant snag to getting his family back. It's known as the law of sin and death. Romans chapter 8 says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. And then it talks about, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free, watch, from the law of sin and death. Romans 6 and 23 says, the wages of sin is death. In other words, you work for someone and you earn a wage. They pay you. Well, you're going to work for sin. And it's going to pay you. And the pay that you earn for all of your effort in sin is death. The message translation says this. Work hard for sin your whole life, and your pension is death. (laughs) And since you know, God wants to get his family back, but according to Romans 3, they're all we're all sinners, we've all sinned, come short of the glory of God, and there is an immutable law in the universe. It's real simple sinners die, and when you study life and death. In the Word, and I can't get sidetracked with this. Life is not paychecks and vacations, and in the Word, life is Jesus Christ. And death is sin. Okay? That's why you can be dead before you die. I don't. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 56 the sting of death is sin. You get stung by a bee, it hurts, you get a red bump. When sin stings you, you're going to die. And it says this, the sting of death is sin, watch, and the strength of sin is the law. There is a law that gives sin its strength. What's the law? What's the rule? You sin, you die. That's the rule. In Galatians 4, this is what it says. Even so, when we were children, watch, we're in bondage under the elements of the world. If you've ever been in a biology class or a chemistry class, you, uh, you are familiar with the picture that's behind me right now. This is known as the periodic table of the elements. 118 of them have been identified. These are the building blocks. These, these, You need these elements. Everything you can think of is made up of something on this chart. For instance, if you want water, you're going to have to get two molecules of element number one, which is H, your hydrogen. And you're going to need one molecule of Element number eight, which is oxygen, H2O. Whatever you can think of, there is a picture of that. You take these elements and you combine them, and that's how they're made up. Well, there are not just physical elements. There are spiritual elements. And that's why the Bible talks about we were under the bondage of the elements of the world. This is the new international version of that verse. So also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. And there you have it. The basic principles. This is the fly in the ointment. God wanted to get his family back. But his family now, they're all sinners. And as sinners, you gotta pay the debt. And in order to pay, you gotta die. And so sin was going to pay all of these sinners for their effort. So what good is it (laughs) if you try to fix your sin problem? You're gonna die in the process. Listen to this verse. In Romans 4, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered, covered. You read Leviticus 17 and 11 and a lot of other verses in the Bible. It is obvious there is only one legal liquid that can cover sin, and that's blood. This is Genesis 3 and 7. The eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. This is the birth of religion in the world. Religion is nothing more than man's attempt to cover his sin. Let me say this to you, maybe you'll receive it. God hates religion. God loves relationship, yeah. not religion. This is what it says in Genesis three and twenty-one. And Adam unto Adam also, and to his wife, did the Lord God made coats of skins and clothe them. <laughs> There's a lot of difference between an apron and a coat. It's like the difference between a bikini and a trench coat. It's truth. Man's attempt just barely covers the essentials. Not God, he's into coats. All right? And there it is from the beginning. In order to have a coat of skin, an innocent animal had to shed its blood in order to provide a covering that God considered appropriate. You see, he knew that sin had a cost. The cost was death. But if his family paid sin's price, what good is it going to do them? They're dying in the process. So, among many other verses, you'll have this. Revelation 13 and verse 8. The lamb, notice, capital L, the lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. Now, John 1 and 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. There's two words for the English word, W-O-R-D. There's something called rhema, and there's another Greek word called logos. Logos is where we get the word logic. It's where uh, corporations get a logo This is the word used in John 1 and 1. In the beginning was the logos. Another way to translate logos besides word is mind, will, or plan. So I'm grammatically correct by saying in the beginning was the plan, and the plan was with God, and the plan was God. When you read the writings of the New Testament writers the world the created visible world is the building but every building has to sit on a foundation the foundation of the world is the word the bible said he upholds the world through the word of his power one scripture said spake he spake and it was done He commanded and it stood fast. From the beginning, there's Calvary. The lamb is slain before the world was even made. It's in the plan. It's in the foundation. He knew that as God, what is God? God is spirit. John 4, 24. Galatians 4 and 4 one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one spirit. There's not there's not a spirit of the Father separate from the Spirit of the Son, separate from the Holy Spirit. There's just one spirit, ladies and gentlemen. Okay? Now you can call that spirit Father, you can call it spirit God, you can call it spirit Holy. It's all the same thing. But when you read 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it says, now the Lord is that same spirit. So whether you call that spirit God or Father, Holy, it doesn't matter, but you can also call that spirit Lord, okay? And the Bible does on many occasions. But when you read Acts 9, this is what Saul of Tarsus asked. Who art thou, Lord? I'm Jesus. If there's only one spirit, one supreme spirit, we got a spirit, demons are spirit, angels are spirits, but there's only one supreme spirit. If that one supreme spirit is God, You can call that spirit God. You can call that spirit Father. That spirit is holy. You can call that spirit Lord. But that's, what's the name? The name of the Father, Son, Holy Ghost is not Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Thou shalt call his name Jesus. He shall save his people from their sins. And in other words, God knew if he remains spirit, he can't help anybody. Because there's only one legal liquid that can deal with sin, and that's blood. Jesus said, handle me and see, a spirit hath not flesh and bone as you see me have." The Greek word there is hologram. They literally believed that they could stick their hand right through him like smoke. And he said, touch me. I'm not a hologram. I'm I'm not a spirit. Spirit doesn't have a body. I got a body really cool when you stay the book of Job. Job says, out of the womb of a woman are the issues of life. Which means, if you're going to come to this earth, you have to come through the womb of a woman. That explains Matthew 8, Mark 5, Luke 8. Jesus, it's called the demoniac of Gadara. Mark says there's one, Luke says there's one. Matthew said there was two. That's that's very interesting. But... (laughs) It fascinates me. You got to read between the lines, okay? This is is conjecture on my part. These devils know who he is. (laughs) They know who he is. Have you come to torment us before? They know, they know. But the deal is, where'd you get the body? Because the last time we were with you, you didn't have one of them. Where'd you get the body? And Jesus says, oh, I came through the womb of a woman. I'm here legal. Where'd you get yours? Oh, that's not yours. Which means you got no green card. Which means you are an illegal alien. So he evicted them. Listen to this verse. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. Watch, the chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we were healed. Here's here's NIV. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. (laughs) He took the punishment so we could have the peace. It's the same story. He knew I can't help anybody if I stay spirit. But if I take an earthly set of duds out of layaway and come to this earth in flesh, now we're talking. Now I got some blood to shed. Do you know the Bible says in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, man was made in the image of God. So what, just ask yourself this question. What's the image of God? This is what it says in 2 Corinthians 4 and 4. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the nines of them which believe not, lest the glorious gospel of Christ, comma, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Colossians 1 and 15 says that he is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1 and 3 said he is the expressed image. Expressed there means one of a kind, can't be reproduced, soul. So you get 2 Corinthians 4 and 4 and Colossians 1 and 15 and Hebrews 1 and 3 and you just marinate them together and this is what it says. Jesus Christ is the express image of the invisible God. God took on flesh. That, that's powerful ladies and gentlemen because that's the only way he can get his family back. He's got to shed some blood. He took the punishment so we could have the peace. And that's what I understood 48 years ago when I was 17. I got it. Jesus was the father in flesh, deity in dust. Jesus was making the invisible visible. I mean, what are you gonna see when you go to the new Jerusalem anyway? Are you gonna see an old man And then a younger version of that old man who looks like the victim of a tragic farming accident because he has got all these scars and a bird, like some parrot on a pirate's shoulder, the dove, you know. Now, you're gonna see exactly what John saw. I had a voice, it said, come up hither. There was a door opened in heaven and he said, one, set on the throne. That's what you're gonna see. He is the everlasting image of the invisible father. Okay? You with me? And so I've been on a quest for almost 50 years now. I am convinced that this book that we call the Bible, accumulated over 2,000 years by 40 different writers, is an integrated message from one author. Lots of writers, one author. The Bible said in Hebrews 12 and two, he is the author and the finisher of our faith. Most authors just write a book. He not only wrote about it, he did it. You remember them old McDonald's commercials with Larry Bird and Michael Jordan? They're outside. He said, okay, through the window, over the trusses, down by the air conditioner, nothing but net, all to get a Big Mac, you know? I, I found these guys a couple years ago on YouTube called Dude Perfect. Some of you young people know who I'm talking about. They're on a 40 story, the top of a 40 story building. 40 stories below is a basketball hoop. On tape, they go, and you watch that ball go, right through there. Nothing but net. You ever heard of Drew Brees? Drew Brees used to be the quarterback for the New Orleans Saints. Dude Perfect, these four kids have made so much money, they bought all this land and built this amazing gym with the money they got from their YouTube subscribers. You know what a clay pigeon is? Some of you men do, some of you women don't know. A clay pigeon is, is is practice for a shotgun. They, they, they have these little discs made out of hard clay and you, you, somebody's in this little house and you stand back with a shotgun, and you go, pull. You don't know if it's going right, left, straight. You don't know. Whew, There's over 100 BBs in a shotgun shell. I saw Drew Brees on Dude Perfect hit clay pigeons with a football. Say, <laughs> po! so he, he can't do that, but I saw him do it. Let me tell you something cooler than that. Jesus called the shot from the beginning. Yes. Okay? I'm gonna go through the universe, down through the Milky Way, I'm going to earth, I'm gonna be on the cross, gonna be in the grave, gonna resurrect on the third day, gonna come out, teach for 40 days, I'm gonna blast off, gonna pour out my spirit, I'm gonna enable those spirit-filled believers to witness to millions of others, and then like a cat burglar coming to snatch some jewels, I'm coming to gather those spirit-filled disciples to myself, nothing but net. (laughs) He called the shot and did it. This Bible is not 66 books. It's one book that has one author to give us an entire package from beginning to end. I am thoroughly convinced every number, every place, every name, even the subtleties, Jesus talked about jots and tittles. They're there by divine design. And this has staggering implications. (laughs) Because it means, in order for you to say that back then, you had to be outside of time. (laughs) Let me give you an example. If you've ever been around science people, physicists, I heard it first from a chemistry professor years ago named Gary Gorby, and he talked about space-time. Not space and not time, space-time. I had no idea what he was talking to me about. And he tried to explain to me that time and space are woven together like two fabrics in the same piece of cloth. Literally, when one expands, the other contracts. If I had a big rubber ball up here and I could put my foot on it and step on it, the ball would change shapes. It would get wider, but it would be not as tall as it was. That when you expand one, you contract the other. Think, of, think of, uh, of time like your mattress. Drop a bowling ball on it and watch what happens. Or better yet, watch what happens tomorrow when you come home after a long, tiring day of work and you just, boom. That mattress is not gonna be flat it's, it's gonna have a dent in it. It's gonna change shape. Time is like that. Because we live in length and width and height, but there's another element. You can't see it, but we all know it's there. Time. It's why people showed up at 9.15 this morning, or you showed up at 11.30. If we're fortunate, we, we, we get a chance to become adults and we might get a chance to grow old if we use time wisely. This is more than an idea, ladies and gentlemen. This is a physical law, it's a reality. And the, the implications of this in the word, just my brain goes a million miles an hour because time is not linear. It's like your mattress. Time is not, it's, 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 it's not a ruler. It's a rubber band. <laughs> I'll give you an example. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall all be changed. Most translations say, in the blinking of an eye. That's not the original word. It's not blinking. It's twinkle. Twinkle, twinkle, little star. You know, you remember You remember when your husband told you the first time, I love you. You saw that twinkle in his eye. Takes an eighth of a second for you to blink. I'm not talking about an eighth of a second. I'm not talking about a blink. I'm talking about a twink and the twinkling of an eye. Did you ever hear this verse? A day with the Lord is like a thousand years. That's long. But as you expand that, you have to contract the other. And a thousand years is just a day. If God can make a thousand years into a day, just think of that. If a 1,000 years is a day to him, then 500 years is 12 hours. And 250 years is 6 hours. And 125 years is 3 hours. 65 is an hour and a half. Can't you live for God for an hour and a half? If he can make a thousand years into a day, he can make a million miles be right down the street. Listen to me very carefully. Heaven's not far away. I've been in heavenly places before. You ever been in a heavenly place? I've been in service to where I was somewhere else. The Bible said we sit with him in heavenly places. (laughs) That fascinates me. Do you know in the Old Testament tabernacle there was only one seat? There were no chairs for the preachers. There's just one seat. It's called the mercy seat on top of the Ark of the Covenant. There's another seat in the Bible known as the judgment seat of Christ. But Paul said in Ephesians, we sit with him in heavenly places. Trust me, he's in the mercy seat right now. So if you want to, you got a choice. You can either sit in a mercy seat with him or you can sit in a judgment seat all by yourself. Which one would you rather do? I'd rather sit in a mercy seat with Jesus and be all alone in that self-righteous judgmental chair that so many Christians live in. Just a thought. Let me explain this into the Bible. Here's Numbers 21. Numbers 21 they have just won this amazing victory over what's known as the Amorites. The 40 years are coming to a close. They're about to go into Canaan. You would have thought after achieving this amazing victory over the Amorites, they'd be so excited about their God. Instead, they fall back into the old familiar pattern of of just moaning and complaining. God gets mad at them. And it said he sent snakes, fiery serpents, and thousands of these people are dying. So they got the message. We butts, we messed up, they start to repent. They go to Moses and say, Moses, would you ask God to fix this for us? So Moses prays to the Lord and this is what the Lord says. I want you to get, they're known in the Bible as cunning artificers. I want the metalsmiths Um, for years, blacksmiths were considered wizards. Get a a blacksmith and get a piece of brass and make a snake. Put it on a long pole and lift it up. When the people get bit by a snake, if they'll just by faith, look at the snake on the pole, it'll be anti-venom and they won't die, which is, exactly what happened. <laughs> it's just, this, I found this verse. It's 2 Kings 18 and verse four. It's talking about a king named Hezekiah. He removed the high places and broke the images, cut down the groves and broke in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For under those days, the children of Israel did burn incense to it Hezekiah called it Nehushtan, which just means, it's just a piece of brass. Here's what's fascinating to me. The time element between 2 Kings 18 and Numbers 21, when, 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 when that snake was originally built, <laughs> it's 850 years. They're in Canaan now, and all of a sudden some dude's got a yard sale. And he goes over to his neighbor and said, hey, what's that thing you got in the back of your garage with that tarp on it? And he goes, oh, wait till you see this. <sighs> That's one of the gods that got us out of Egypt. Oh, <gasps> That's that snake. Yeah. They start burning incense to it and start worshiping it. This is one of the gods that got us out of Egypt. I- I've said this every now and then. I'm so glad we never found that rooster that preached to Peter. We'd have stuffed that sucker and charged five bucks admission to see this is the rooster or that donkey that spoke to Balaam. We're like baseball memorabilia collectors, you know? Guess what this is? This is one of the nails that held Jesus to the cross. There's hundreds of them around the world. Just memorabilia stuff. He breaks it in pieces and he said, it's a piece of junk. It was meant to be used for one particular time. Now, jump ahead to John chapter 3. His name is Nicodemus. In our world, he would probably be a Supreme Court justice. He doesn't want to mess up his image, so he sneaks in by night. And he says, Jesus, there's no way you could do this stuff unless God's with you. And you have this fascinating, amazing lesson that Jesus gave the Nicodemus about being born again. But watch what it says in John 3, verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have ever ter- have eternal life and you all should know the next verse for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son you got to understand something ladies and gentlemen <laughs> this is we're, we're talking 1400 years later jesus is explaining to nicodemus what nobody ever understood. Because what you got to realize in the Bible, up until the, the snake is sin. The snake is evil. Brass was judgment. The first thing you saw when you came through the gate to the outer court was the brazen altar. It's the biggest, it should always be the biggest thing in our life, the altar. But it's made out of brass. It's, it, brass all through the Bible was was judgment. And, and God takes brass, turns it into a serpent, and sticks it on a pole, and nobody figures it out. There's not one verse in the Old Testament that explains what it's all about. Until over a thousand years later, Jesus explains to this guy, Nicodemus, let me explain to you what the snake was. Me. Me. Because to so many people the snake was sin. And brass was judgment. But when you read 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, it said, the one that knew no sin was made sin for us. Yes. He, remember the chastisement of our peace? He was judged for our sin. Right. And Jesus said. Just as Moses lifted up that serpent in the wilderness, if I, even I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. Now here's what I'm trying to show you. That thing's in Numbers 21. Hundreds and hundreds, centuries before John chapter 3. And the only way that Jesus could possibly know what we're talking about here. Is he has to be able to step outside of time. Right. Because that thing which was given to us in Numbers 21 was supposed to be a picture of the cross. <laughs> Do you know that here, Stephen, Acts chapter seven, he's one of the seven guys chosen to help pour the Kool-Aid and spread the peanut butter. When, when I get done preaching, people say nice things to me. Oh, that was amazing, Brother Hoffman. That was incredible. That's not what happened to Steve. Steve gets done preaching, they stone him to death. But in the middle of Stephen's message in Acts 7, this is what he he called Israel in the wilderness, the church. The church in the wilderness. And when you get to Corinthians 10... It's obvious you're talking about Israel. All our fathers passed through the sea, baptizing unto Moses in the cloud. But when you get to 1 Corinthians 10 and 11, this is what it says. All these things happened unto them, not for examples, in examples unto us and weren't written for their admonition but written for our admonition. In other words, what happened to them wasn't for them, it was for you and me. That stuff happened hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago but it was a lesson for you and me. It, 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 the word is example the, the greek word for example is typos if you spelled it in alliteration it's t y p o s uh, a lot of you are in manufacturing in this church you know what a prototype is a prototype is 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 the earliest example it gives us a concept of what the pattern is in advance <laughs> God knew what was going to happen on the cross in John 19 and placed the picture of the cross in Jewish minds that were just as confused as Nicodemus was in John chapter 3 This is what rabbis call remiz It's a hint of something deeper in other words, it's like a big sign that says, dig here, treasure. We take these things for granted because we live after them. But what I'm trying to do to you today is to get you to stop and just think of the reality of the word of God that we have. I, I found this several months ago while I was studying. I The tabernacle of Moses is God's church house in the Old Testament. It's where God met with his people. The tabernacle of Moses was in the middle of the camp. They, they, 42 different times they set up camp. The tabernacle of Moses is in the middle of the camp and the 12 tribes camped around the tabernacle. So I always assumed it was like, like, like a clock, you know. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Like, just like surrounding that tabernacle. But then I, I found this verse. Then the tabernacle of the congregation shall be set forward with the camp of the Levites in the midst of the camp, and as they encamp, so shall they set forward every man in his place by their standards. And what I found out is there were 12 tribes, but the 12 tribes were grouped into four divisions with three tribes in each group. In other words, Judah and Issachar and Zebulun all camped at the same place. But they camp under the standard or the flag of Judah, tribe of Judah had a flag and it's cool because on its standard was a lion. (laughs) The lion of the tribe of Judah. Watch what it says in Numbers 2 and 3. And on the east side toward the rising of the sun shall they have the standard of the camp of Judah. So Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun all camp on the right side. But this is a problem because if their camp is larger than the camp of the Levites, somebody's gotta go somewhere. It's gonna squeeze somebody Southeast or Northeast, not East. But it's obvious when you study the Bible, it's there. The number of people that were in those three combined tribes was 186,400 men. I'll put a diagram up here. It's not, it's not real exact, but, but what I found was this. Here's Judah on the east, 186,400 men. There were three tribes that were with Reuben that were, that were on the south. Reuben, Simeon, and Gad came next. There's 161,000 of them. And then you have the standard of the flag of Ephraim that was on the west side of the tent. And this was Ephraim and Manasseh and Benjamin. They were camped there. And then there's 108,000 of them. And then you get Dan, who's on the north side. And like all the others, there's there's three tribes there, Ruben, Simeon, and Gad. Or no, that, it's Dan. It's uh, Dan, Asher, and Naphtali are over there. Do you, do, you, do you get what I'm looking at here? I, I, I'm trying to put you in a drone and put you over Israel as they camped in the wilderness. This is not 12 stations around a clock, but notice the numbers, how that the west part has got the shortest amount and the east part has got the longest amount and the south and north are almost identical. This is how they camped around the tabernacle. Get in a drone and get above it and you go, whoa, I see it. There it is. All those years ago, just like that man that took that hyssop on that door and went here and here and here and you connect the dots. That cross is there, hidden in plain sight all the way back in the beginning. It's a prototype. It foreshadows the greatest event in human history. (laughs) It's just... I got fascinated with something years ago called ELS, equidistant lettering sequence. Now, I'm not telling you this is gospel. I'm just telling you what I found. I got fascinated with Hebrew. And, and <laughs> when you study Joseph, you start in chapter 37 of Genesis and you go from 37 to 50. Joseph is a big deal. Five words, he made the stars also. Five words. Joseph gets 13 chapters. If God gave five words to the stars and gave Joe 13 chapters, notice I said 13, not 14, because there's 14 between 37 and 50. There's one chapter out of sequence. It's chapter 38. Chapter 38 doesn't say anything about Joseph. It's the story of Joseph's self-righteous brother, Judah who has an affair with his widowed daughter-in-law, whose name is Tamar. I've, I, I wrote a book a couple months ago. I didn't publish it yet, but it's called Unreaped Corners. I've always enjoyed going to places in the Bible where nobody else goes because I'm convinced all scripture is profitable. And, 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 and so I got fascinated with these lineages You know, this guy begat this one. Nobody reads that stuff except Harold. And so you go to Matthew chapter one, and most people, when they go to Matthew one, they start reading at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus was on this wise, but there's 17 verses of begats before verse 18. And when you study the lineage of Jesus, there's all these men mentioned, but there's only four women. Four women are mentioned by name in the lineage of Jesus. Now, 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 here we go. Bathsheba is mentioned. She's Uriah's wife that had an affair with King David. Okay? You've got Tamar mentioned, who had an affair with her father-in-law. You've got a woman by the name of Ruth, who comes from the place that Psalms calls the washpot. And then you've got a prostitute by the name of Rahab, who lived in Jericho. There's only four women mentioned in the lineage of Jesus Christ. All four of them got this big scarlet letter on their forehead, but this is what you better remember. All four of them gals played a role in bringing Messiah to the world. What a mess. (laughs) What a mess the lineage of Jesus is. But out of that mess came the greatest miracle you could ever imagine. See, see, I don't care if your mom was a whore or if your daddy was Jeffrey Dahmer. I'm telling you, any man or woman in Christ is a new creation. All things are passed away. All things are become new. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> so I'm studying Genesis 38. I'm thinking, there's got to be something in here. So I take Genesis 38 and I find it in Hebrew. No ands or these or any of this, you know, adverb stuff we got in it. No, 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 no. Hebrew's a whole different angle. And you go, you know, from right to left and you go bottom to top. And so I, I've always been fascinated with Jubilee, Leviticus 25, 49 years, seven Sabbaths plus a day. 49 and 50 are a big deal in the Bible. And so it, 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 it's just a fluke. It's just a fluke. So I I start counting. I go to Genesis 38 in Hebrew. And I, my daughter, Ashley, I buy her these books. It's just a square jumble of letters. But beside, you know, beside of all those letters, there's all these words. Find these words in here. Some of them go up, down. Some of them go left or right. Some of them go like this. You know what I'm talking about? That's ELS. That's equidistant letter in sequence. I go into Genesis 38 and I count 49 letters and guess what I find? Boaz. Bam. <laughs> I count 49 more letters and I come to Obed. I count 49 more letters and I come to Jesse. I come to 49 more letters and I come to David. I'm trying to show you something. David is not an afterthought. It's in me. <laughs> it, it, it just Isaiah 53 to people that study ELS, Isaiah 53 is known as the Holy of Holies. When you study Isaiah 53 in Hebrew it's really really cool because Peter's there, Matthew's there, John is there, Andrew's there, Philip is there, Thomas is there, James is there. There's even a reference to James the less and James the Greater, James the brother of John. But there's another James who's known as the half-brother of Jesus. He's mentioned there. And the one name that is obvious, so conspicuous by his absence is Judas. It's not there. You say, ah, oh, you're, you're tripping, Pastor Oppmann. Where in a word are you going with this? Watch, I'll tie this all together, watch. Here's Second Peter 1 and 16. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables, when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. If you've ever been to court, you've got circumstantial evidence and then you've got the, 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 the Holy of Holies, man, an eyewitness. If you have an eyewitness, I saw him do that. I saw her do that. That's a big deal in court, ladies and gentlemen. This is what Peter is talking about. I... I I saw him walk on water. I saw. I, I Bartimaeus was blind. I saw him make that guy see. I saw that. This is verse 16 of 2nd Peter chapter 1. But listen again with Revelation to 2nd Peter 1 and 19. But we have also a more sure. Word of prophecy. He's saying, I saw Jesus do all these miracles. I saw him die. I saw him resurrect. But he said, that's me. Let me tell you about you. You didn't see what I saw. But you got something better than what I saw. Because he said, you've got prophecies. And those prophecies are very sure words. And he said, the power of the prophetical." is even greater than the power of the miracles that Jesus did. Because he said, if you understand the prophecies, there's a more sure word there than in the miracles. Let's take the number 100. There's another way to write 100. 10 to the second power. Your duplicate, 10 times 10 is 100. Let's say... I got a bucket up here today, 100 silver dollars. And I take one of these silver dollars and I get some fingernail polish and I put some fingernail polish on one of those silver dollars and I put it in the bucket and I shake it and I blindfold you and say, let's see if you can pick the silver dollar out of the bucket. You got a one in 10 to the second power chance of finding that silver dollar. You have one chance in a hundred. I can show you how that the prophecy said he's going to be born in Bethlehem. I can show you where Zechariah said he's going to ride on the colt of a donkey. I can show you where Zachariah said in chapter 11, they're going to pay 30 pieces of silver for him. I can show you where David prophesied and said they're not going to break one of his bones. Read the book of John. They broke the legs of the man on the right, the legs of the man on the left. But when they came to Jesus, he was dead already. That the scripture might be fulfilled. That none of the bones would be broken. I can go on and on and on. I can show you how in Hosea, he said, he's going to die, but on the third day, he's going to be resurrected. I, 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 I've given you eight different prophecies. What we're dealing with here is one to 10 to the 17th power. In other words, in order for me to explain to you how much that is, one times 10 to the 17th power, I'm gonna need a bigger bucket. So I'm gonna get a piece of property the size of Texas. And I am going to bury Texas with two feet of silver dollars from Amarillo in the West all the way to Houston in the East from Dallas in the north, all the way down to the valley in the south. I'm gonna bury Texas two feet in silver dollars. I'm gonna fly over Texas in a helicopter. I'm gonna take that one silver dollar that I painted and I'm gonna throw it out the helicopter. And then I'm gonna get you and I'm gonna blindfold you. And I'm gonna say, find the silver dollar, you get one chance. That's the odds of one times 10 to the 17th power. That's just eight prophecies. That's the possibilities that those eight could be possibly right. I got over 300 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled during his ministry and his death. What are the chances of that? You can't calculate that. See, what are you talking about, Brother Hoffman? I'm telling you that this book, how can you be sure? Because the Bible said there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One father of all who's in you and through you. One. I know I'm on live stream. Somebody's wrong. Somebody's wrong. And you've got to understand something. How can you be sure? There's no book like the Bible. There is no buck like the Bible. The prophecies in the Bible, you can't calculate those odds, but they came to pass exactly like they said they were going to. We have a more sure word and it comes from the prophecies given about Jesus Christ. Stand. you need to make your calling and election sure. I'm not talking about arrogance. I get so disgusted with arrogant people. Pentecostals have said for we have the truth. We have the truth. You know what truth is to an orthodox Pentecostal? Acts 238. That's the truth. Let me explain some to you. The truth is not a doctrinal position. The truth is a person. Jesus said, "I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life." And I've met way too many people who are in love with their doctrine, but don't have a living, lasting relationship with the Lord. One God, people killed Jesus. Do you know that? Do you know there's a woman in the New Testament followed one of the apostles and said, this is the man of the Most High God. Whatever he says, you need to do it. He turned around and cast the devil out of her. There's nothing wrong with what she said. Her spirit was wrong. What are you saying, Pastor Hoffman? All of a sudden, it's the day of Pentecost. And there's about 3,000 people that have gathered on Solomon's porch. These guys never left Oakland County. How can they speak in my language? How can I hear them magnify God in a language that I know they don't know, but I know? And some smart aleck said, ah, they're drunk. And that's all Pete needed. He said, yep, you're right, they're drunk. Not like you think, though. I heard an old man preach a sermon years ago. He said, we ain't drunk as we pose to be. Hmm. He gives his short little sermon and all of a sudden he says in verse 36, guess who the guy was on the middle cross 50 days ago? Your Messiah. When they heard this, it was like someone drove a stake in their heart. You mean we've been waiting for him since Abraham? You mean we've been waiting for him since Moses? Peter said, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't give up yet. There's a way out. He left you an option. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promises unto you. And under your kids and under your grandkids and into people that aren't your well, they're all really our biological family when you get down to it. You understand the implications of this, ladies and gentlemen? My 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 head hurts. My head hurts. All of these prophecies. chance there they are and it's not by chance that you are where you are right now because the Bible said your steps are ordered your times are in his hands the puppet master of the universe has divided how many things tried to keep you from church today how many different things tried to stop you from being in the house of God today Yet here you are. (laughs) Steps are ordered. Do you understand what's going on here? There's a God that's trying the best he knows how to put a message to you that there's hope. There's hope. When When I was a young boy in Pentecost, everybody preached you into hell. You got scared to death. You come to an altar, got baptized, got the Holy Ghost. Someone rebuked me not terribly long ago. I I got a problem with you, Pastor Hoffman. You don't ever preach about hell. You need to preach about hell more. And I looked at that precious person and I said, I'll tell you why I don't. I believe people live in hell right now. I think the job of the church today is not to preach people into hell, but to preach them out of hell. I believe that when people come to church, it ought to be a message of hope because there's enough hell and havoc and chaos outside of these walls. I won't embarrass you. I've been up here a long time. Come with me, please, around this altar. Please, don't don't walk out. Just just a couple more moments. You spent all this time now. Just, just, Just a little bit longer here, in Jesus' name. You have to understand something. If there wasn't a heaven and if there wasn't a hell, it's still a better way to live. It's still a better way to live. Now, if it's appropriate, I don't want you to do anything that's gonna make you uncomfortable or make someone else feel uncomfortable. But if you would feel so inclined, I'd like you to lay your hand on somebody's shoulder right now and I'd like you to pray with me around this altar. I'd like you to get anointed. I'd like you to plug into the Holy Ghost right now if you understand what I mean by that. Lord Jesus, this is my brother and my sister here right now. I think I know them well, but I I may not know them well. I know you well. I know what you've done for me. I know what you've done in my marriage. I know what you've done in my family. What I've got my hand on right now is no less and no more than me. I'm not praying for them because I'm smarter than they are. I'm not praying for them because I'm holier than they are. I'm not I'm not praying for them because I know you better than they do. The truth is, Lord, there's not a person in this room that is as close to you as they could be. There's not a person in this room that knows as much about you as they could know. But your word does say freely we have received and freely we give away. I know I don't have it all, but I got something. I'm not what I want to be, but I'm sure not who I used to be. And you made a difference in my life. And I'm putting my hand on this brother and sister right now because just as sure as they feel my hand on their shoulder, your hand is on their life as well. Father, if I've got my hand on somebody who is sick in their body by the authority of the Word of God and the power in the name of Jesus, I'm asking you to heal their body. Stem the stern. Amen. From the shoe all the way up to the head. From light and the. left. I'm asking you, God, to do a mass healing in this room right now. From my left to my right. From this platform to the lobby. I'm asking you, God. Everybody, under the sound of my voice in this room right now. By ah, your stripes, we are healed. I'm asking you, God. Amen. Amen, amen. If I've got my hand on somebody whose marriage is under attack, whose family is under attack, I'm asking you right now, Lord, (laughs) would you use me, God? Would you use me to put a hedge around their family right now? You hate divorce. Nobody wins. Everybody loses. I'm asking you, God, right now, you can put love back in a woman's heart. You can put love back in a man's heart. I'm asking you, God, right now to spare this family, to spare this marriage if I'm praying for somebody right now that's lost their way and they don't know what to do. I'm asking, I'm asking you, Lord, right now. Oh, they in our heart. That very same north star that led Abraham out of Ur of the counties is still shining in the heavens today. And you are our star. You are our... Oh, Jesus. I'm asking you, God, right now. Lead them out of the woods. Get him out of the smoke and the fog and the mirrors. Oh, Jesus us, God, to have a foundation of the word beneath us, to have your protection around us, to have a canopy of submission over us. I'm asking you, Lord Jesus, let there be a revival in the church and a harvest in the city. Oh, God, how in the world are we ever gonna have a harvest if the church doesn't have a revival? Oh, Jesus, I'm the pastor, but like shepherd, like sheep. If this church is dead, it's because I'm dead. If this church is lifeless, it's because I'm lifeless. If this church is carnal, it's because I'm carnal. I'm asking you, God, as pastor, forgive me. I'm asking you, God, to cleanse my heart from all iniquity and all wickedness. Oh, Jesus. Us around this altar right now. Hundreds and hundreds of years ago, you gave things to us, Lord. Here we are on the other side of that. Amen. I'm on the other side of Calvary. Those prophets never saw it, but they said it in faith. Oh, Jesus. How in the world could they say that unless you had overwhelmed their mind and enabled them to step out of time and go future and bring something from the future back into the present i'm asking you lord right now amen that same timeless god oh jesus that we would dwell in a heavenly place right now oh god we gotta have your anointing we gotta have your conviction we are absolute fools to try and do this without you we can't do anything of any lasting value without your help Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. I don't want to be arrogant, but I intend to be sure. I don't want to be lost. I don't want to be deceived. Oh, Jesus. I don't want to have a pearl and end up throwing it in front of the pigs. I'm going to buy the truth. And I'm never putting it on the market again. We make a covenant around this order today, Lord. We're going to please you with our lives. We're going to live our life in such a way that you will smile. That's my boy there. That's my girl there. We owe. We owe this city one more revival. We owe this city one more sovereignty.